Hello, and welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation. Happy Tuesday. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Danzial. Chris, we spent just about a half hour, a whole 30 minutes, breaking down the Battle for Atlantis. And boy, were we wrong. Let's take a listen. Yeah, if I had to take a guess, I'm going to say we're going to see Purdue. I'd and... agree with that. So after that semifinal round, we will get to face either Arizona, NC State, SMU, or Northern Iowa. I mean, let's be honest, it's probably Arizona. I'd say there's probably a 1% chance that we see a team not named Arizona in the final round, right? Probably less than that. Really sound like a bunch of geniuses right there. Basketball guys just wouldn't have it. <laughs> they listen to our podcast and they're like, yep, nope, we're going to make these guys look completely wrong. So they're going to send Tennessee and Northern Iowa Villanova's way. It's like everyone predicted. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of wonky things going on down there in Atlantis. But if you told me that that was the path that we were going to take going to the tournament, I would imagine that that meant that Jalen and Mikhail had both had stomach bugs Everyone was having food poisoning, and we had to send out the bench and the freshmen to play. And then we were in the last place game. But who would have thought what sounded like the worst possible scenario actually became the path to the championship? And seeing how these other games went, it sounds like it was actually the best path, period. Yeah, (laughs) it really does. And Arizona was exposed. Purdue was exposed. I guess, I I don't know what it was. It was... Thanksgiving hangover. I, I really, really don't know why Northern Iowa was, was able to skate on by everybody. How NC State was able to beat freaking Arizona, and then Arizona loses two more times after that. And how the toilet bowl of this freaking tournament ended up being technically, by virtue of the rankings, the best game there was. It, it was a really odd weekend. Obviously, if you're a Villanova fan, you take it. But at the same time, you still would have liked to have played Purdue. And even though we now know Arizona is overrated, still would have liked to have gotten them on the schedule just, you know, for seeding purposes down the road. But Tennessee, it's a great win. Northern Iowa, West Kentucky, not as great, but you can see Northern Iowa has some talent and Western Kentucky was just kind of a throwaway. On the bright side, though, if there was one thing that we were right about, it was that Villanova would be undefeated. And not just that, I guess indirectly, we did prove that we were the better Wildcats. We beat Northern Iowa, and we also beat Arizona. So I guess by virtue, that made us the best Wildcat squad coming out of Atlantis. So even though we didn't get to play Arizona directly, we still came out on top. Oh yeah, we we weren't exposed as frauds. So that that, that is uh, that's a win for the weekend for sure. Isn't Northern Iowa the Panthers, or are they the Wildcats? Yeah, they're Panthers. Oh no, you know you're right. You're right. They're the Panthers. So I, the Panthers. I guess in terms of actual cats, we came out on top. Yeah, if there were cats power rankings for teams that went to Atlantis, we'd be number one. You are right though. They are the Panthers. Okay, so we're good. We're good. That's okay. That's a okay. Five straight. Mid-season tournaments now for the Wildcats, dating back to the Battle for Atlantis in 2013 when they took down Kansas, led by Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid. And then they took down Iowa in the championship game to win it then. It's been five straight ever since. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the women's basketball team who also was busy this past Thanksgiving weekend. They came out with a little early season tournament title for themselves. And we'll also talk about volleyball later on in the show and their quest in the Big East tournament. But first, let's just talk about this battle for Atlantis. Sure. Chris, three games, three wins. (laughs) Western Kentucky 
on Wednesday, Tennessee on Thanksgiving, and Northern Iowa on Friday. You got to catch all three, right? Got to see the Tennessee and Northern Iowa games on TV. Western Kentucky had to listen on the radio. I was still at work when that was going on, but I got a good feel for the game. You know, I will say that even though Thanksgiving is supposed to be football time and it's supposed to be a football holiday, it was just a bad it was a bad Thanksgiving draw for football. None of the games were really that exciting, but it was a great, great weekend in college basketball across the board, really. Oh, absolutely. I was I really wanted to watch more college basketball than football on Thanksgiving. Between the Dallas game being a dud, the nightcap between the Giants and the Redskins being absolutely horrific to watch. And I don't even remember what the other game was. Oh, it was Detroit-Minnesota early. And like I, I, as two of my biggest rivals, like I can't watch that game. It was just horrendous all around, bad product. And I, I, I was more intrigued by the college basketball for sure. So after coming in hot with two back-to-back 100-point games, Villanova... The offense struggled a little bit, I guess we could say. Uh, they won their first game against Western Kentucky, 66-58. to Then they took down Tennessee, 85-76. to Then to top it all off in the championship game, they beat Northern Iowa, 64-50. to It was the only one of the three that didn't require a comeback effort. What stuck out to you from this Battle for Atlantis tournament? There's the good news and the bad news. Why don't we start this off positive since we did win? What good things stuck out to you? On a player... By player level, my God, is Mikael Bridges freaking good. They kept saying it on the broadcast over the past weekend, like, oh, how last year he was just a defensive specialist and the catch-and-shoot guy. And I would tend to agree with that. I don't think he really had – wasn't really a prominent role in the offense last year. I don't know what it was, but these three games, he took over each and every one of them. Between his defensive prowess on the press, there was like at least four to five plays where he just, you didn't think he would try and steal the ball. He would knock it free and then scramble halfway across the court on a loose ball to get it, dive, call timeout, or get a jump ball in favor of possession. And then on top of that, but you already know he's great at that. But then on top of that, to show his offensive prowess this year, to just absolutely take flight in transition, literally taking flight, spreading those that giant wingspan, flying through the air. The ability to get to the basket on baseline drives that you think he has no room, and then he somehow contorts his body and is able to just flick it up off the backboard and in. It was absolutely insane to watch. And I don't, and you didn't really realize it throughout for the first couple of games this year. And obviously in previous years, he really didn't have that prominent of a role. But now all of a sudden, I don't know what it was, but he had his coming out party offensively. Just watching him on offense now, I don't feel uncomfortable with him having the ball. And I know I, na- I nagged on him with the shooting early in the year because I kind of thought last year was a little bit of a fluke. But now I, it, I think he's showing that it, it isn't a fluke. He has a great shot and a great ability to drive to the basket. That's one, two, the MVP of the tournament, Jalen Brunson. Absolutely phenomenal all, all three games. I had no issue with him whatsoever. He didn't really – he stood out for sure, especially the championship game where he was hurt. I honestly started freaking out a little bit because I thought he actually was seriously hurt, even though I thought it was a minor injury at first, and then they held him out, and you saw him stretching and moving, and you're like, oh, at least he's not going back to the locker room. That's fine. And then Jay put him in about four to five minutes later, and it was A-OK. But then the ability to come back, and then I think the first play after he came back in, he knocked down a three, and you're like, OK, he's fine. And then from there, he's able to control the game, 100% comfortable with him controlling the pace of play, controlling the point. He's 
absolutely phenomenal. And those two players, I think, are going to be, they're going to be the guys for Villanova this year. And everyone else is going to be kind of supplementary at this point. They are the stars. We should highlight them and their abilities because they are just so freaking good. You know, at this point, when you see Jalen Brunson work on offense, you just expect the best. You know that this man is like a maestro, and the floor is his orchestra, and everyone just follows suit. And the way that he plays, it's so smooth. It's so awesome to watch. Great game by him, really. When he's on the floor, Villanova's at its best. But Mikhail Bridges, fantastic. There's no true test in Lafayette. Nichols staying in Columbia. You come down to these tournaments where you have to play three games in three days, see what you're made of, see what your body's made of. The man showed up to work all three games, all three days. And he's not just a defensive player anymore. I think, like you said, he he makes it work and make it happen on offense. He was shooting well. I loved him on the catch and shoot. Drilled some timely threes. Just finished under 20 points per game this past weekend. He was a man that was able to go all 40 minutes against Northern Iowa. And his defense, I I think his wingspan just allows him to do things that no one else would. Mm -hmm. So tenacious, so ferocious on defense. The man gets in your face and it's not easy. But then when he's on offense, it doesn't look traditional. It doesn't look orthodox. But he has dribble moves. He has he dribble does. moves. He does. He can take it inside, create for himself, create some space off the dribble, and finish at the basket, which is nice. I loved his play. He was very exciting to watch on both ends of the court. Those two guys, Brunson and Bridges, were the reason why we came away with this championship, and I'm glad it was reflected as such. Mm-hmm. We saw Brunson be named the tournament MVP. And Bridges get put on the all-tournament team, along with Dante DiVincenzo. I like that Villanova was able to battle back. It's good to have adversity. It's good to have that experience early on. Yep. That Tennessee game was ugly. It was. The Western Kentucky game was also ugly, but not as bad as that Tennessee game. Mm-hmm. You see them battle back. Slow start team, but that's something that Jay Wright's been dealing with for the last couple of years. Slow starts, but then when it's the second half, they just turn on the switch and, you, and they look completely different on the court. And they just took over. They stormed. They came in there, stormed them, showed them why they're as ranked highly as they are, why they're regarded as highly as they are in the college basketball world. And they took care of business. And those two guys were the catalyst as to why that happened. Great showings from them. And I like the the effort in coming back or playing from behind and ultimately coming with those two wins and then their fifth straight early season tournament title. Yeah, I did love their ability to come back. And it was good, like, as a fan, because that was, like, kind of the first game you could really get into and get hyped on between, like, the big threes and the, and the 15-point comeback to start the second half. But I want to hype harp on something. I think the most underrated move of the weekend, and I didn't see anybody talking about this, was at the start of that second half against Tennessee, Jay Wright went with Dante DiVincenzo over Amari Spellman to start that half. And be, and I think it was that move that kind of lit a fire under them. And because they had Dante in there, they can go more high-end, run-and-gun type offense, get some quick points to get back, cut into that lead, and maybe take a lead. And they did. They did right, right off the bat between some big threes from Jalen, big transition baskets that involved Dante. And I don't think you get that with Spellman right now. And I thought that was a great coaching move and I, I shocked that no one even brought that up. I think that's honestly why they came back to start with Dante bringing that energy off the bench with the ability to get up in transition. And, you know, Amari didn't have the best of tournaments. We'll get into that a little bit later. I thought Jake coached a great tournament and that move pretty much highlighted it. There were a couple things I didn't like, but we'll get back to that later. But like you said, I'd like that coaching switch. What was it like a 20 to four run or 20 to two run? Oh, to start it was, the second half. 
Yeah, something crazy like that. I thought like overall it was like twenty six to eight, like something like that, like something like prolonged. Yeah, it was it was nuts. Yeah, Dante DiVincenzo is one of the best defenders on this team. We love to talk about Mikael Bridges, obviously, and his great wingspan and what he brings to the defensive end of the court. But Dante DiVincenzo brings a hard nosed effort, which always stands out to me when he goes on defense. You know, even if he's not performing as well offensively, he always keeps the intensity on the defensive end. His demeanor to start that second half, just getting in Tennessee's faces, whoever had the ball. He plays very well defensively. He had a few nice plays in the middle of that run to help keep it going, help feed it. And yeah, small ball, Villanova, regard to you. Yeah, we have a lot of front court size this year, but it was nice to see us go small, run with a lot of guards. It's kind of, I guess, our natural fit for us. And we saw that it worked out. It worked out. It was a great move by Jay to bench Omari for Dante. And obviously, we saw what happened. We got to move on to that championship game. And like we said, Dante DiVincenzo, all-tournament team. So he played very well. He played pretty well, too, not to be undernoted compared to the other two guys who really were at the forefront. But Dante also had a nice tournament, too. Yeah, he really did. I thought, like you said, the Tennessee game was really, he really stepped it up. 13 points coming off the bench, 204 from deep so to really ignite that rally. But he didn't have that great of a game against Northern Iowa. He went 0 for 4 from deep. He, and I believe most of those threes, if not all of them, were all open. So that was kind of discouraging. But at the same time, Phil Booth flying under the radar again, had a great game against Northern Iowa while being absolutely absent from the score sheet against Tennessee. I know he went 8 of 10 from the free throw line, but from the field, he was 0 for 4 all from deep. So it's good to see that you got a little bit of a role reversal there. So if one guy's not performing, the other guy kind of steps up. But at the same time, it's kind of good in a sense because if they are all clicking then who knows what this team could do they can possibly hit that next level for an entire game instead of just you know waiting until the second half to really turn on that switch to really show who they really are so now let's talk about what we didn't like or what we feel like can be improved moving forward well (laughs) for the team it's obviously the slow starts i mean we're gonna I feel like we're going to be harping on it all year. I just don't know what it is. You saw it last year a lot. And even in 15-16, they kind of did it. It wasn't as prominent. But last year, it was very prominent. Where they just, they don't start off well. And they let these teams hang around. And then once you let a bad or not as good team hang around, you start to doubt yourselves a little bit. You start pressing. While they're just playing with house money. They're playing free, you know, open. Like, obviously, they're... They're gonna won't try as make as many mistakes, but they'll they can still lock down. And if they're within like four, like five, six points in like middle of the second half against a top end team, they're gonna start thinking, hey, we can actually do this, guys. That's concerning. I'd like to see a complete game from this team. Obviously, the first couple games they played a complete game, but I don't know why do those really count against some real competition. Hopefully, with the Big Five coming up, they're able to do so. That's on a team basis, and then on a player basis, man, Mari Spellman, what the heck happened? That was brutal from him. I just. I expect you expect such big things from him. And he showed what he can really be in those first couple games. Then he comes to Atlantis and the stat line just doesn't look like hit like what he's capable of. Two and nine from the field against Western Kentucky. One of four against Tennessee and basically non-existent with Dante basically replacing him in the second half. And then against Northern Iowa, he didn't make shot. <laughs> he didn't have any points. O of eight from the field with four of them coming from deep. 
And he made a lot of mistakes inside too, where you're like, just go up with the ball. But then he would either try to get fancy with it and then lose the ball on the way up, or he'd kick it out when, and turn it over as a result. When in reality, he could have just got up with it. Like, and it was, you had some of those in the half court set. And you also had a lot of those with, in transition too, where he just wasn't making the correct decision. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's the increased talent level that you're playing actual teams now and not just some cupcake games. Or it could be the fact that it was Atlantis. I, it's, you know, it's a tournament type setting maybe just a little nervous I, I don't I don't really know but it's a little discouraging because you see Samuels he hasn't played much he only played one total minute in Atlantis DCR and Gillespie are getting some regular burn now but I mean you, you expected big things this freshman class so to speak and it's kind of not living up to expectations so far Bellman was a combined three for 21 over three games which not ideal he's shooting 31 percent on the floor so far this season and yeah He's been a little disappointing. I'm sure he knows that. I mean, he seems like a guy who's, when he's doing well, he's up. And when he's not doing well, you can see him get frustrated. But there was just a lot of mental mistakes. A lot of turnovers that just didn't make sense. I remember that one turnover when he dribbled into a triple team against mm-hmm. Tennessee and then just threw it to Orange. Yeah. There was just no other Wildcats around him, and he just threw it away to them. That mm-hmm. was just a, a mind-boggling one. And, yeah, it, it's just it seems like when he's double-teamed or triple-teamed that it sounds. It looks like he wants to fight it, and he wants to force something up instead of maybe passing it away. But it just, it just didn't look like a a good weekend for him. Looking at some of the other freshmen, Jermaine Samuels, I I guess it's pretty telling that Jay Wright has shortened his leash a lot. We talked about how he was pretty nervous, hesitant over the first three games of the season, and then you see him barely log in any time in the regular rotation over Atlantis. So what does that mean? Does that mean Jay just didn't really want to put him out in a situation like this? Or if he's still grooming him? Or is, if he's just simply not ready yet? Look at Gillespie. A lot of rookie mistakes defensively. Um, he made some nice passes. I, I remember that one that he did when he dribbled into traffic and then kicked it out. A nice smooth pass to Dante in the corner for an open three. That was a nice pass. Mm-hmm. But still still some mistakes, but nothing too egregious. And Demir Cosby Roundtree. I think he's I think he's looking pretty good so far. I like he's, his play. He's been the best by far. Yeah, I like his play. He's pretty athletic for a big man. And he he has made a couple mistakes in which he isn't sure of which guy to guard. And so in turn, that mental freeze up leaves one guy open. So you saw Tennessee or Western Kentucky just dump it off to a guy in the middle quickly for, for an easy dunk. But other than that, he's been playing pretty well. I like his game overall. It sounds like Honestly, outside of Brunson and Bridges, this team could be in a lot of trouble because as we saw against Tennessee, when Jay Wright left them on the bench, the both of them for an extended period of time, Villanova looked a little lost and that allowed Tennessee to just run all over them and build the double digit halftime lead, which was pretty scary. Yeah, it went south pretty quick. And then that's why when Jalen was kind of limping around in the Northern Iowa game, you started getting flashbacks of that Tennessee game of going and basically extending an entire year without him on the floor i mean yeah you'd have bridges out there but oh if you lose one it's just it's not the same i just i don't i'm afraid that like like you can't take these guys out bridges and brunson because like you said if they do they're gonna not collapse but they just don't look like themselves there's no true facilitator there's no true scorer out there when you got them like phil's great but he's more of a supplemental guy same thing with dante i guess he can i guess he would be more of that scorer type guy Eastman we didn't even 
type on Pat, uh, touch on Pascal. He didn't look as great either in the battle for Atlantis. He's, I think he's getting a little too happy with his shots. I think he should try and go inside more. But then when he does go inside, he seems to get outfaked or outclassed a little bit by some of the taller guys. I think that's just really a height differential, not so much a talent differential. So I guess he can work on that. And then until Spellman really starts to break through, there's really no one out there that you can trust to score. <laughs> Definitely afraid that if, let's say, Brunson or Bridges gets in foul trouble early and went in just a big game, what, what is this team going to do? Yeah, for those first two games, I literally, as I sat there watching both, I thought Brunson and Bridges are pretty much the only really proven ones on this on this team right now. Yeah, Dante has his flashes here and there. Phil Booth is like a nice complimentary piece. But when those two guys were gone, it was it was shipwreck. It was yep. there was just no momentum. There were a lot of turnovers, just no rhythm on offense. And then defensively, just guys were just getting burned, and it just did not look pretty. It looked like a team that looked helpless without without its two leaders. And then when they came back, we saw what happened. When they're on the court, the good things happen. I'm sure, I mean, I know plus minus isn't an end-all, be-all indicator, but I'm sure if you look it up, they're probably at the top by like a great amount. Oh, absolutely. They they, they got to be. <laughs> the only time you see them really doing much with the basketball on the offensive end is when those two guys are out there. So, And obviously with Bridges' defense, that helps, helps with the plus minus equation too. Yeah, for sure. They're the heart and soul of this team right now. Obviously, it's early in the season, so you never know what people can turn into or grow into. But it's good to see that Villanova can pull off a championship, their fifth straight, even though two of like the 13 guys are the only ones playing like at a great level. Right. And I feel like there are two or three other guys who are playing okay, but I feel like they, they're not at their level yet. Like Dante DiVincenzo, like, I feel like he can be like a 14, 15 points per game kind of guy, a yeah. consistent scoring threat off the bench, a spark plug. Mm-hmm. And then you have Eric Pascal, very athletic. But like you said, when, when he was going inside a little bit, it looked like he was getting bullied, you know, turn the ball over a little bit or make an ill-advised shot. But other than that, one thing, too, that just annoyed me was when Villanova was trailing in those two games against the Hilltoppers and the Volunteers, they need to move the ball more. Yeah. There was just so much ISO, pull-up, mid-range. Like, unless you were Jalen Brunson, I don't trust you taking that shot. Like, I had no idea what that was. They were maybe making one pass and then go or shoot or drive. Mm-hmm. And it, and there was just not enough assisting on baskets in the second half of those games to start moving the ball around more, start racking up those assists, and their offense looked free-flowing. It looked like it was working so much better than that first half when they would just do a little one-on-one dribble drive and then pull up baseline mid-range or just pull up at, at the key. Like, it just made no sense. That's not Villanova. That's not the Wildcats that we know and love. And I just didn't know why they were doing that a lot when they were trailing. Maybe it was panic. Maybe it was, you know, whatever it was. Maybe you feel like you need to do more because you're trailing. But I'd like to see Villanova move the ball just so much more. And when they do, we've seen it happen. It's been the winning recipe for the last few years. Good things happen. Yeah, I didn't understand why they kind of like deferred to Jalen and Bridges in that instance when they were trailing. Like, I understand why. But at the same time, I, this team is better when it works as a team. It's to basically interchangeable parts with some being better than the others. If you get everyone involved, the offense is just a thousand times better. You have great dribble drivers with Brunson, Bridges, Booth, and Dante. Like you have such great players that can attack the basket. But like you said, they're just pulling up the mid range and you're just like, no, like when, when did we become the Lakers of like two years ago? Like it was just brutal to watch. And then it's since until they were really able to figure it out. And other, and really other than Jalen with his elbow pull up pop, like that's, that's pretty much the only time I'm okay with a mid range shot. Cause that's just basically it was basically automatic in Battle for Atlantis. And also something that annoyed me a little bit, they didn't really close out that Tennessee that game all that great. And they kind of let Northern Iowa come back in 
to a little bit. So I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. Like, did you kind of get that vibe as well? Like, they let Tennessee get back into it a little bit more so than Northern Iowa, I thought. They did, and I think that's just pretty much a testament to the Volunteers. They had that great win against Purdue. It's a pretty tough team, pretty well-coached team over there by Rick Barnes, the former Texas coach before Shaka took over. Yeah, you'd like to see Villanova close it out, win by double digits every time, but I guess it just can't happen every single game, you know? Hopefully they can fix it because we got Gonzaga in the, on the horizon at MSG, and that's looking like it'll be a pretty tough game. So we got these two big five games right now. But before we get to that, you know, let's just talk about the women's basketball team because they also came away with a Thanksgiving weekend tournament title for themselves. Yep, the women's basketball team had just as great of a weekend, able to take the TD Bank Classic, played in Vermont over the past weekend, beating James Madison and American in consecutive days to take home that title of their own and remain undefeated. And it looks like that Duke game is really propelling them. That Duke game did propel them to a nice early season tournament win. It's good to go in there, take care of business. Two games over two nights, Friday and Saturday. The Wildcats, you know, if you thought the men's team didn't really close out well, Villanova had a few couple scares, a couple scares in route to this TD Bank Classic title. First off with James Madison, Villanova's playing pretty well. They had the lead, double digits, and then all of a sudden the Dukes hit back-to-back threes. And then before you know that nice double-digit lead quickly disappears and a few instances of the yips at the free throw line. And then all of a sudden it's a three-point game. Villanova did just enough to escape out of there. But then when they went on to the championship game against American, same deal. They outscored the Eagles 20-6 to in the opening quarter. From there, just really dominated the game. It just took complete control. And then all of a sudden, in the fourth quarter, they let a 20-point run, 20-point swing occur. And all of a sudden, that nice, cushy double-digit lead disappears quickly into single digits over the last closing minutes. It wasn't as close as the James Madison game. There were a few instances of the yips at the free throw line again. But on the bright side, Villanova did enough to pull away. Now they've now won five straight to start off this year. What really stuck out to you? It was just a pretty good tournament. Yeah, what stuck out to me was those two almost, um, I guess, collapses at the end. It's kind of the exact opposite of what we were just talking about last week with the big win over Duke. They were behind in that game and were able to come back and then hold down that lead and really did so with relative ease. Now you go up against James Madison, an American, two teams that aren't obviously as good. And you kind of let them come back in. And like you said, the, the yips from the free throw line, I think that might have to do with just the fact that they just don't shoot many free throws. We talked about it a lot last year and a little bit this year, how they just don't get to the free throw line, mainly because a lot of their offense revolves around perimeter play. So they don't really drive to the basket. They don't really go inside and they don't really get those opportunities. So as a result, I just don't think that they just don't have as many chances to shoot free throws in a game situation. And I think that kind of hurts. So when you come to a game time a game when you need to hit those free throws late to really ice a game and you don't and you never really had the opportunity to do so you don't but at the same time they won <laughs> so you can't really be all that mad about it Kelly Jaycott being the MVP uh, of the tournament and Adriana Hahn making the all-tournament team great players are pl- still playing great and they're still winning and can't get all too mad about that you could see assistant coach Joe Mullaney on the sideline of the Vermont tournament, just so stressed out because at the end, Villanova just went ice cold instead of running the clock down. Maybe they were hacking up a shot too early and it wasn't going in. Free throw line mistakes. 
and he just looks so stressed. And yeah, you know, you'd love to see Villanova close it out a little more comfortably, hold on to that lead a little tighter. But like you said, you can't get too upset when you win two games, and now you're 5-0, and and you've got this hot start. All in all, Kelly Jacob played well this past weekend. Adriana Hahn also played well. She was on the all-tournament team, drilled five threes in that championship game. But I also thought Alex Lewin played a great game. I thought that she went vastly underrated. Um, I thought I loved her energy and her effort against the Dukes and against the Eagles. She's just a tough player. She goes in there, physical, very physical, just gives a lot of effort. And then on offense, when she's locked in, she can knock them down from deep. She can drive inside. She's just a tough player, a great scorer. And I I would have liked to see her on the all-tournament team as well. I was a little disappointed when I saw that she didn't make it. But she, I thought she also had a solid tournament performance as well. Yeah, her game against James Madison was real standout game for her. I mean, she had a scoreline of 10 points and grabbed 11 boards. Just like you said, she's very aggressive inside and is able to get those boards, big-time boards for Nova. It's Why wouldn't she make the, uh, the all-tournament team? I guess they kind of had to defer to the Americans players, but at the same time, why not Victor goes to spoils, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They they don't want to make everyone else feel a little too bad. They don't want to put an all Villanova squad out there. Just to, of note, they beat James Madison, and they were that was a team they faced in the WNIT. Yeah, we third were. round. It was the team that Villanova beat to get into the quarterfinals of mm-hmm. the WNIT. Both teams have changed a lot since then, except for Villanova. I guess they pretty much brought back much of the same. But I was I was surprised to see that the Dukes gave a pretty tough fight at the end. But I guess if the first three and a half quarters were a true indicator of talent and what was going on, you could see that Villanova was just on another level until they were caught sleeping at the end. Yeah, no precious haul on the Dukes. So no 2,000-point score. The Dukes really had to spread it out. And I think that Villanova took care of business against them. And against American, they denied another late buzzer beater. American got to the championship game after stunning the tournament host Vermont in the semis with a buzzer-beating layup. There were going to be no fireworks, no comebacks this time around. I like that Villanova held them off. Obviously, it was a little closer than you would have liked, but they took care of business. They're now 5-0, and and they're going to be back at it on Wednesday. Yeah, and they'll also be facing another WNIT foe from last year at Princeton. Yeah, it's just crazy how things just work out. And the men's team's also playing, uh, I guess they're both playing Ivy League teams too. You got Princeton and Penn next up on the menu. True. They didn't even think of that. They didn't even make that connection. And speaking of rematches, we never talked about how uh, Villanova could have played NC State if they had actually beat Northern Iowa. (laughs) We kind of joked about that a couple episodes ago about how we wanted NC State. (laughs) Yeah, we also joked about how there was less than a 1% chance of a team not named Arizona making the finals. Oh, how the tables turn. Oh, well, well, you joked about that. That was your famous proclamation there, buddy. All right. Look, <laughs> all I know is that there was a guy who pulled like a Biff from Back to the Future, stole an almanac, put like his life savings on Northern Iowa <laughs> making the finals, and made like a fortune. Whoever, whoever bet on Northern Iowa making the finals just made a fortune. Yeah, they really did. Oh, that reminds me. Phil, the... Dante DiVincenzo basket at the end of the Tennessee game, that caused Villanova to cover. It was an eight-point spread, and that basket made it nine. And then I think Villanova and Northern Iowa pushed at 14, and I think it was because of a missed free throw by Villanova late. So, yeah, like, like we say, good teams win, but great teams cover. 
And this is why I don't bet. And this is why I'm probably also going to retire from fantasy football after this year. It just everything's just gone down. So, yeah, you 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 had a bad year in our league. That's for sure. But before we get into these Princeton and Penn games, let's just look at the polls right now. It's an exciting time to be a Villanova Athletics fan, Chris. We don't have just one ranked basketball team. We oh, no. have two. First time since, what, 1982, I hear? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. According to Viewmander, it was picked up and retweeted by the women's basketball team. And I'm going to assume that Dean Kennefick did his homework, checked it out, fact-checked. And yeah, that's pretty impressive. 1982, we should we should get really hyped on this. Yeah, I'm surprised the Twitter, Villanova Twitterverse really wasn't getting as hyped on it as it was. Because this is the first time since 04 the women's team was ranked. And obviously the men's team wasn't as good. Back then, they were just about to make their come up on that and turn the corner. And then the women's team just kind of just been middling around ever since. And then once the men team, men's team got good. So, yeah, you got to go all the way back to 82. That's before the men's team even won a championship. That's how long it's been. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised that, honestly, it didn't happen sooner, that we had both the men's and women's teams simultaneously ranked. But, hey, I mean, you know, better, better now than never or better now than way later. Uh, it's a pretty exciting time. Both teams are undefeated. They're both coming off those early season tournament championships. The men's team taking care of Battle for Atlantis, and then the women's at the TD Bank Classic. You got the men's team. They moved up to number four. Mm-hmm. Chris, what did you what did you think about the men's pull? You saw that Duke was still number one, which uh, bleh, bleh. Yeah. And then number two is Kansas. Number three, Michigan State. And now number five is Notre Dame, and Arizona fell off the cliff and is somewhere in the darkness. Yeah, Arizona is it is just amazing how bad we whiffed on that. But yeah, Duke at one, they've received all first place votes. I, I don't really get that. I mean, I understand it, but I don't get it at the same time. Like, I don't feel like a, te- a team has really differentiated themselves from the pack yet. I know it's still early, but there's not one team out there that I'm like, hey, they're number one in the country. Duke had two tough games over the weekend. I think they went – both games were come-from-behind victories, and I don't know if one went to overtime or not. I'm not exactly sure. And granted, their co- competition was tough, but they still had to come from behind. Kansas sitting at 5-0, and okay. Michigan State lost. So, I mean, granted, it was to a good Duke team, <laughs> but it, they lost, so I, I guess that's fine with me. I, I mean, really, the only argument you could really make is maybe you put Villanova over Michigan State just by the virtue of being undefeated, but – Honestly, it doesn't even matter. And if you look at the USA Today poll, they're actually only behind them by one point. Like Michigan State received 692 points and Philadelphia got 691. So they're really neck and neck. So I really have no qualms with that. Xavier in the poll still. Creighton rounding out 25. Seton Hall dropped because they don't know how to deal with Rhode Island. And uh, But they are ranked on the coaches poll. So I, I don't really get it. I don't even want to touch on Notre Dame just because Dickie V talked about them all the time over the weekend. And oh, I God. I don't want to hear any more about Matt Farrell and all them. God, we didn't even talk about that when we were recapping the freaking Battle for Atlantis. God, Dickie V, just <laughs> shut up. Like, yeah, one moment he's talking about how the Big East Conference is one of the best around, and then the next, what do you say, they were like sixth best? Like, fourth, Yeah, fourth or fifth best. And like, <laughs> he put the SEC in front of him. God. Brutal. Like, all right, you want to call the Big East great and all and say you love Jay Wright and you love Villanova and, like, Massimino was your boy back in the day. All right, fine, but then don't freaking give him a backhand compliment, like, two two minutes later. It, it doesn't and, make and any sense. definitely don't hype up Bonzi Colson 
and Matt Farrell and Notre oh, Dame when they're not even in the tournament. <laughs> I know, I know. He can't stop talking about the ACC. That's all he wants to talk about. He wants to talk about his dookies and the Tar Heels and how that's the best game ever and how it should be the only game played in college basketball. And also, he brought up a couple times Georgetown. You kept bringing up Patrick Ewing. My dad got so freaking aggravated at it. He, he even verbally said... Dickie V, shut the hell up. You always have to bring him up. I, apparently, he used to do it back in the day a lot. He always used to have an obsession with Ewing, kind of like how he does with Duke now. So, oh, God. Man, I like him, but just, just I don't know. <laughs> learn, learn your spot, I guess. I was a little surprised that Duke got the unanimous first place, just because, I don't know, like, yeah, they they did. They won their bracket in the PK-80. But outside of Ma- Marvin Bagley, like you said, there was just some sloppy play, come from behind games. That yeah. Florida game, they totally were going to get credited for, you know, rallying back, late comeback, stealing mm-hmm. it from Florida. You know, on the other hand, Florida was really outclassing them for the first, like, two-thirds, three-fourths of the game. And mm-hmm. then Marvin Bagley's... Marvin Bagley, he's amazing. But everyone else, I'm just not sold on that team as a whole. And yeah, I, I agree with you when you say that, you know, yeah, they're undefeated. Yeah, they won the PK-80 or they're bracketing the PK-80. But I don't think a single team has completely run away and distanced themselves from everybody else yet. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 going to – I think it's still going to be a while until these teams really assert themselves at the top of the pack. And it's going to be a, a conference play that really determines that. And even then, I still think you're going to get some top teams losing to some lower-end teams, and it's going to really balance itself out. And you're going to be – it's going to be like in years past. You don't have that number one team. It's going to be Villanova one week, then Michigan State the next week, and then Duke the next week after that. And then maybe Notre Dame gets in because they haven't played anybody and everybody else lost. Like, it's just that type of thing where you get some teams backing into the number one spot, and then some teams who were able to – with. Uh, hold on to it for a couple weeks until they lose a tough conference game yeah besides i mean duke needed a comeback victory against portland state like come on like everyone was stuffing oh, their they did? With thanksgiving dinner yeah, yeah yeah i didn't even pay attention to that i saw that i uh, the texas game was what drew my eye because i wanted to see bomba play live but they, they they had to come back against portland state really i i just kept checking in and the the score was close the whole time all all i heard was at the end that duke had won in advance but by that time, it was Thanksgiving dinner, so I didn't really pay yeah. attention to them too much. That's true. No one's paying attention to Portland State and Duke in our area. But right. let's look at the women's poll. You have oh, Villanova yeah. back at it for the first time since 2004. Harry Pretta squad 5-0 and on the year so far. They are in the top 25 right there, right at the caboose, number 25. Hey, as long as you got that little number penciled right next to your name, that's say okay <laughs> it's, it's just that much sweeter. It just looks that much better. Yeah, it was like when the men's team got ranked again for the first time in a few years after they came back from the Battle for Atlantis. We were hyped on that. Oh, just yeah. to see the little number next to your name yeah. or to see news outlets refer to you as the number 25 Villanova Wildcats. Like, it's yeah. nice. It's nice to know that you are top 25 out of 351. It, it really, it really is. It truly is. And you're ahead of DePaul, who's always kind of been a thorn in their side in the past years. The, DePaul's receiving votes in the poll. And then Marquette is ranked 23rd for the other Big East team. So you're right up there with them. Marquette's sitting 2-2. Two and two. You're 5-0. and oh. I mean, I'd rather be 5-0 and oh at this point. <laughs> so in the game. Yeah, I know, right? So I'll take the two-spot difference if that means anything. Yeah, it's been a great start so far by both teams. We have the men's team. They'll take on Penn on Wednesday, tomorrow night at 7 p.m., Chris, what can we look for in that game? I think it's pretty obvious. The all-student attendance game. I cannot wait to see 
what how that everyone's going to react to that i cannot wait to feel the atmosphere for that through the tv like i'm looking so looking forward to that i want to hear the crowd get into it i want to hear the crowd stay with it from start to finish even if it is a comfortable lead for villanova in the second half or whatever it may whatever the score is i want the crowd into it i want the crowd getting raucous i want to show i want everyone to know that you know this we have a great fan base and it kind of gets drowned out by some the wine and cheese crowd on more nights than not and i feel it with an all-student atmosphere i think it'll be different and i think everyone will be into it and i i really not wait to see what unfolds there yeah i hope no one leaves that game early i think jake nevin's gonna be shaking i think that old structure in that building might collapse even i think it's gonna be really loud it's gonna be a really fun game for a lot of these students i think this might just be a once in a lifetime deal Because after that, who knows when's the next time that they'll do another construction job at the pavilion. But for these current students, they're definitely not going to be able to get that chance. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime chance for them. Like we've said before, it's great that it's students only. I think Villanova should win this one pretty comfortably. Penn's Penn's had a couple nice sophomores right now. Ryan Bentley and A.J. Brodeur both stick out. Brodeur, a sophomore forward, 6'8". He's going to be rumbling with Omari Spellman a little bit. And Bentley, a guard, came on at the last half of the season, served as a spark plug, got plugged into the rotation, and now he's even building off of that. He's their leading scorer right now. He's a talented guard from Downingtown, Pennsylvania. I remember hearing about him a lot during my city basketball love days. I think Villanova should win regardless, even though that they're playing pretty well, but those are the two guys to look out for. How about on the women's half, taking on Princeton, heading over to Jersey, yes. 5.30 tip-off on Wednesday. What can we expect from that? So yeah, what to expect from this game? Well, we have yet another WNIT rematch. Villanova over Thanksgiving weekend uh, had a rematch against James Madison, who they faced in WNIT last year. And now they're facing Princeton, who they faced in WNIT last year as well. So you get that going for you. And also, obviously, it's Villanova's first game as a ranked team. So you look forward to seeing what they can produce as a ranked team if it really matters at all. Yeah, the Wildcats took on the Tigers in the opening round of the WNIT. Obviously, Villanova won. They edged Princeton by six. What to look out for? It's Princeton's all everything. Bella Buckets, Bella Alary. She's been lighting up the scene over there. She's playing very well. She's a six foot four guard forward. I don't even know what exactly you want to call her. She can play anywhere on the court. She's got great ball skills. She can drive inside. She can pull up from deep. She can score in many ways. She can grab rebounds. She's had a double double in each of the last three games, but she also plays amazing defense. It's no doubt that she is literally the heart and soul of this team, and she's only a sophomore. She came onto the scene real strong as a freshman last year. She's going to put up a real tough challenge this year because she seems to be even better than she was when she took home some Ivy League Rookie of the Year honors. Totally watch out for her. A couple other people to watch out for are Leslie Robinson and Tia Waleji. Both were pretty important to Princeton's season last year. I think Villanova is going to have a little tough one. I mean, they're going to be on the road could be at Princeton. This is a team that they knocked out. So they're going to come in hungry. You stop a Larry, and I think you'll win the game pretty, pretty well. Villanova, first game ranked, I don't think that they're going to let it down. I just can't see that happening. Yeah, you kind of hope that the, the number next to their name uh, hypes them up a bit. And hopefully they're able to improve on that free throw shooting, as we were talking about before. You, you know, it, those type of performances from the line, they'll get you into trouble, and they allowed 
these teams that you really should be able to beat and put away claw back into these type of games and with this one being on the road and not on a neutral court concern that if you do get to the line a bunch of times and you do let them get back into it they might be able to actually come back and you know fulfill that comeback so hopefully they're able to correct the free throw mistakes and then as long as they shoot well as long as they shoot well from beyond the arc like they always do then they should they should be fine once again the women's team will tip off tomorrow at princeton at 5 30 p.m then the men's team they'll be at jake nevin Fieldhouse. it's gonna be a rocking environment 7 p.m tip off against the pen quakers their big five opener chris i want to turn your attention to some <laughs> great news that came onto the front on Monday morning, yesterday morning, Villanova, Kansas. We are locked in for a home-and-home home series. Both schools announced it yesterday morning. We are, it's going to start next season, next December in 2018. It's going to start at Allen Fieldhouse. Then it's going to come back in 2019 at the Wells Fargo Center. How excited were you to hear that news? Man, I, I, I was pretty hyped up on it. We Remember during the Big East preview show, we were talking about which teams we wanted to see Villanova play in the future. And surprised none of us brought up Kansas. We actually kind of have a close history with Kansas. Back in, I believe it was 2005, Kansas came all the way out to Villanova and played uh, Villanova at the Wells Fargo Center. That was a pretty big game. Villanova won that. I think Kansas was ranked two at the time. And that kind of, that was kind of one of the wins that put Villanova back on the map. Then in 2008, you had the Sweet 16 matchup. Uh, Villanova unfortunately dropped, but they were a 12 seed they really weren't supposed to be there. Kansas was the one and eventually ended up winning the national championship. And then just back in 2016, just maybe a little years ago or just a year ago, you had, we were there. We witnessed it from press row. You had the Elite Eight game in Louisville. It was an absolutely fantastic game between two high-end teams. And you, you look forward to those type of matchups and – you know, and I hate to say it, but like one of the first thoughts I had was I really hope Brunson and Bridges stick around next year because if you, you I kind of want to see them go into Kansas and go to the fog and, and see and take on that Kansas team because I saw Kansas has a really big recruiting class coming in next year as well. So obviously, and they're always going to be good, especially with Bill Self at the helm. So I really want to see a full full arsenal for Villanova going into next year just to go into Kansas and hopefully steal one of Lawrence. Yeah, I know, right? It's kind of a bummer, especially when we don't know if both are leaving, one's staying, or maybe they're both going to stay. You would love to just see what Villanova can do when you have those two weapons, especially with the way they're playing right now. Um, we're not even going to talk about the NBA possibility right now, but this is just such exciting news. I just remember from covering at Louisville for City Basketball Love, drinking coffee at Press Row, and I just had to stop drinking it just because my heart felt like it was just going to like literally race out on, and spill out onto the court. Um, <laughs> I, I could not breathe. <laughs> the game was just so intense, a lot of fun. It was just such a great weekend, and obviously the ending was even better the, a week after that. Right now, the all-time series is knotted up between both schools at three apiece. Villanova obviously won the last two meetings. We beat them at the Elite Eight in Louisville, and then we beat them in the Battle for Atlantis back in 2013. Oh, Jesus Christ. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, Andrew Wiggins, remember? Oh, God. The next LeBron and all that stuff, and there was all that jazz. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it didn't feel like a Kansas team because it was just a bunch of one and dones. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but Joel Embiid, I remember writing a preview and being like, why isn't no one talking about this seven-foot guy? <laughs> no, I know. We literally just talked about this too. Wow, that's that's horrific on my part. I just remember the 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 playoff games. <laughs> that's the tournament oh, yeah. game. It was just way more. Yeah, those were just so much more iconic. But the Battle yeah. for Atlantis game was fun too. Archie hit that three and, and then we had that stop at the end. It was great. As you mentioned earlier, Villanova won when Kansas came to town at the Wells Fargo Center. 
But a year before that, in 2004, our one and only trip to Allen Fieldhouse didn't go so well. The Wildcats ended up losing 86-79 to at the Jayhawks, Rock Chalk Jayhawks, over at Allen Fieldhouse. Who knows how it'll go this time around. Either way, it's going to be exciting with or without Brunson and Bridges. Obviously, you'd love to see them both play. But, you know, just to have such a high-caliber out-of-conference team, our schedule next year is going to be pretty nice between this, UConn, whatever happens in the Big Five, the tournament in Orlando. It's going to be pretty solid. And maybe we'll get another marquee team to round out our non-conference schedule. Or just even as is, it's pretty solid. Yeah, that's true. And you're guaranteed a a great team the following year, too. So you got that to look forward to as well. It's going to be a while away, but it'll be here before you know it. For those of you who want to circle your calendars, make some mental notes now so that way you're happily surprised when you stumble upon it a year from now. Villanova will take on Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse on December 15, 2018. And then the year after that, it'll be at the Wells Fargo Center, December 21, 2019. That's probably going to be a really hard game to get a ticket for. I think those records, those, uh, what, what was the highest sold out game there? I think it was Villanova Georgetown a couple years back. I think that game is going to break that record. Yeah, it probably will be, yeah, because I'm sure you're going to get the, the Kansas contingent there as well, regardless. They travel pretty well, regardless of uh, where they are. So you'll get the Kansas fans, and then obviously all the Villanova fans will be turning out for that one. Wasn't it? A, I thought it was the Virginia game, actually, now that you mention it. Uh, no, I'm not actually 100% sure. Oh, okay. Before we head into questions, I just want to pour one out and give a salute to the women's volleyball team. Their season unfortunately came to an end over the weekend at the Big East tournament. It was kind of unexpected, but, you know, you, you swept Creighton to get in there, and then Creighton kind of went on this mission to go and take no prisoners, uh, sweeping the Wildcats in the Big East tournament. Great season all around, and Villanova is losing just two seniors, so hopefully they can, granted those two seniors are key contributors, but hopefully they can rally for next year and kind of bring it together and approve and build upon what they did this year. The Wildcats do graduate Ali Loitz came in clearly was an impact player after transferring in from Pepperdine and also Ali Fitzgerald who was a pretty key fixture in the back line defensive specialist in libero for the last few years for Villanova it's their second appearance in three years in the Big East tournament it was an exciting way for them to just sneak into the tournament that sweep against Crane is probably something they'll remember for a very long time especially just considering how great that team was going into that game Fortunately, it's not the season, not the ending you want, but for Villanova, they cap off the year 18 and 12. Pretty solid season, and especially when they weren't expected or slated to make the Big East tournament. To just prove some people wrong, it feels nice. Now, let's open our mailbag. Let's look at what we got. Let's look at some questions. We got a few in here. Chris, are you ready? Let's do it. We have a few questions from Jerry Quinn. Shout out to Jerry. He's been following us since the bench mob days. Uh, first one, I guess we can combine a couple of these. Its first mm-hmm. question is, will the Big Five ever consider going into a single elimination format? And then the second question we can combine with that is, will Drexel University ever schedule all the Big Five so we can make it a City Six series? Well, I guess this kind of harkens back to what we talked about last week, no? Uh, where we discussed the possibility of the City Six joining up for a tournament teams ranked one through six based on the previous season RPI top two seeds get a buy so on and so forth go from there um so yeah I guess to answer the first question the, the big five I, is I guess I don't know if they're actually considering it but it is an option 
I guess it's been discussed at some point. And then for question two, I think the only way Drexel plays the rest of the Big Five to make it a true City Six is if that tournament happens. I don't think they're ever going to try and get the entire Big Five on their schedule. I just don't see Villanova doing it. Maybe the maybe some other teams will, but I don't think they'll get the entire Big Five. So the only hope really is to get into uh, form that tournament. I personally wouldn't really want Drexel. That's another, we're just burning another non-conference game. Yep. But I, I guess... We could have them in place of like a Nichols State or whatever it is, or Columbia. I don't know. But as we mentioned on our last pod before Thanksgiving weekend holiday, shout out to Andy Katz. He broke out some news saying that there was a potential possibility or that the Big Five powers were considering or talking about a potential tournament. And if it were to hypothetically happen, it would ideally take place overall on one weekend and you have Drexel in to make it a 16 tournament with the big five and then winner take all for Philadelphia supremacy and bragging rights which we talked about would be very I'd be all for it I'd be all for it that sounds exciting I mean especially when you do it at the Palestra you can really bring back the glory days I think it'll be sellout crowd right now I don't think there's really been that kind of hype surrounding the big five take two teams that don't really have much of a history or rivalry and then you have them play each other it's not obviously going to have the same buzz as like a Villanova Temple or Villanova St. Joe's. So I think in doing this tournament setting, you're going to have fans and people from all over Philly, different schools, repping different schools at the Palestra. It can really make for an exciting environment and be all for it. And also, shout out to Andy Katz. I was at the NIT season tip-off on Friday, and I was literally sitting next to him, and I was staring at him thinking, man, this guy looks so familiar. Where have I seen him? Why, <laughs> why can't I identify him? What is his name? I don't want to ask him. And then I realized the morning after, as I saw a tweet and favorited it, that it was Andy Katz that I sat next to, the Andy Katz. He was the one who potentially floated around the rumors and the news about this potential City Six tournament. But yeah, it's just funny how things <laughs> things worked out. Yeah, if you did realize it was him, you really could have maybe gotten even more insider info from him. Yeah, so. I could have totally poked his brain. I was literally sitting there. I was like, this guy, uh, CBS? No, I don't think it's CBS. Um, NBC Sports? No, it's definitely not NBC Sports. ESPN? I feel like he was on ESPN. <laughs> just, oh, man, I was so frustrated. I literally just like on the tip of my tongue, like, who is this guy? And then I realized it the morning after. So disappointed in myself. That's unfortunate, but that's okay, Eugene. If ESPN wasn't so unwatchable, you you probably would have recognized it earlier because I'm sure you would have been watching ESPN's college basketball coverage. Yeah, that's my problem. I need to watch more TV. I don't want to watch any TV outside of like games. Like, yeah, yeah no, same here. <laughs> Jerry's third question: Will Brandon Slater be preseason frosh next year? I'm assuming. And what's what do you think he's talking about here? Scale and what scale? Uh, Big East team or? The conference? I'm, I'm gonna say I'm gonna assume like Biggie's like preseason freshman of the year. I don't know if it would be Slater. I I would give it a Slater honestly. If I just had to, just I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess it was just because he's just ranked higher. I, I don't really think you have like that good of an assessment of each of these players right now, especially for a Biggie player, freshman player of the year. So I, I would give it a Slater, not so much Slater yet. I mean, it's possible that Slater might be the better player immediately. Um, as we're seeing this year, it looks like DCR is kind of coming into his own early on, and Samuels has taken a little bit longer to develop. So, I mean, that that's possible. But I guess for preseason, I, I, I think they would give it a Swider because as of right now, we were just talking about this off air. Uh, it looks like Swider right now is the highest-ranked Big East recruit, according to ESPN anyway. It's also tough just because Slater is a, is a guard, and obviously we're a guard-heavy team. But at the same time, 
you know how Jay Wright likes to just work in guys. So I don't know if I'd give it to him, but mm-hmm. possibly David Duke over at Providence. You have Kyron Cartwright. He's about to graduate, and he's, you know, the hometown kid, high-profile recruit. He'll probably get a lot of burn right from the get-go, maybe even start yeah. for Ed Cooley over there. So maybe he might be the pick, but honestly, I, I think we're just going to have to wait. As of right now, Cole Swider is the higher-ranked recruit, but they're both, you know, they're both tremendous. We'll see what happens. But right now, for my way-too-early preseason Big East freshman of the year prediction, it's looking a little cloudy, but those <laughs> that would be my hypothesis. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I completely forgot Carwright's graduating, and he's going to be able to fill a need right uh, immediately. Meanwhile, Slater and Swider are probably going to be blocked, at least initially. So, uh, yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, his last question is, what is the ceiling for this year's Nova men's basketball team? I think it's Final Four championship, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, how can it not be? We talked about it a lot last year, how basically anything for this team short of a Sweet 16 is basically a, a failure in the grand scheme of things. So they're definitely Sweet 16 capable. They're definitely Elite A capable. Definitely Final Four capable. And why not win the championship at that point? I think best case scenario would be like a Final Four appearance. Obviously, you want to go, you know, go for gold and win right. the championship again. But mm-hmm. I think realistically, I think the highest, the best case scenario would be Final Four, Elite Eight ish around, yeah. like around there. I think in the preseason, I predicted them going to the Sweet 16. So we'll see what happens. I think the Final Four would be best case scenario. Yep, fair enough. Last question from Mike Jacobs Did you know? Or, sorry, did you even know that bad boy <laughs> mowers were a thing before the Battle for Atlantis? <laughs> no, and I still haven't even looked up what a bad boy mower is. <laughs> All I got to say is bad boy mowers, they did their job. The PR department did their job because I guess now I know what they are. <laughs> According to Brian Ewart, he was there. At Atlantis, and he said that there were lawnmowers all over the place in the hotel, in the lobbies, by the courts. Like, there was just lawnmowers everywhere. So, I think they did a great job of making people know who they are and what they're about. I don't know why a lawn and landscaping item would be used for Atlantis. I would think, I mean, Atlantis is such a beautiful place, and I don't think really much landscaping is going on there. It's just a nice resort. I guess they got to do landscaping to keep it up, but still. I will say that the commercials that they had, like, in between the game or in, in breaks, it was pretty cheesy. Pretty cheesy. You actually paid attention to those commercials? I, I couldn't even stand to watch them. <laughs> it was my first time watching TV in a few weeks. I was, I was soaking in everything. Oh, that's true. You, you, <laughs> the fact that you were able to keep your eyes glued for more than five seconds was a victory in yeah. of itself. That's all the time we have for today. We'll be back at it on Thursday. In the meantime... Nova Nation, check out viewhoops.com. We got the news. We got the updates. We got everything you need about men's and women's basketball because I think that's it right now for the next couple of months at least. Yeah, pretty much. So we have it all. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the State of the Nova Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Podomatic. Maybe one day we'll get on Google Play. We need to figure out how that works. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get our people on that. <laughs> also, be sure to follow us on social media at view hoops on Twitter or Instagram. Also at S O N N pod on Twitter for the state of the Nova nation official Twitter handle. You can also follow me, Eugene repay at your five. And you can follow me, Chris Stanziel at the stands man on Twitter. Nova nation two undefeated basketball teams, both rolling in top 25. It's a good time to get hyped. Let's get these wins tomorrow, and let's take down the Ivy Leaguers of Penn and Princeton. And we'll we'll check back with you on Thursday. (laughs) 